now I know that was probably not the best thing, or that was a mistake, or I wish I would have known X back in the day that maybe some other guys may be committing those same fouls right now. Uh, honestly, there's, oh, I made every mistake in the book, but <laughs> that's what you love about it. Um, so some of the biggest mistakes I made over the years was you, you, you find a tree that's perfect, but... This segment of DOD TV is brought to you by Leopold, American to the core. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Drury Outdoors 100% Wild Podcast, powered by DeerCast. You're Tom Chelvick. You're Matt Drury. And we got a good guest on today. A good guest who's a big buck killer. He is, man. His whole family's a big buck, big buck killers. Family of deer killers. Yeah. And... He is adept at putting other people on deer. Something I've got some work to do on. <laughs> that's like that's like the next level of deer hunting. Like it's it one is. thing to kill a deer on your own. It's another thing to guide other people. Although I did manage to get two other people on bucks last year. So you're pretty much running your own outfitting. Basically, I'm successful. <laughs> We're talking about Caleb Byers. Caleb, what's up, man? What's up, man? What's going on, guys? All right, so let's address Caleb's got a crappy connection here. So if he comes in and out, he can't see us, which is probably a benefit to him. We he requested that. We can see him, but sometimes be going in, in and out a little bit. But we felt like his knowledge is so great, we had to it's worth it. plow through it. Yeah, that's right. He's dialing in from the land of Iowa. Land of the Giants. Yes. <laughs> Caleb's a big guy himself. I haven't noticed. All right. So moving on. You want to? <laughs> okay. So I, I know we got some shout outs and some DC news that we got to get to before we dial in, but I let's, let's do that. And then let's jump into kind of Caleb's history because he's been online, you know, at Midwest whitetails and he's been on with us in dream season for a while now. And uh, I want to kind of dive into some of the history before we talk about the plans for this year. So let's hammer out the shout outs first. Hammer time. Huh? Whoa. whoa. <laughs> Don't do it. Right. Callie Grubbs. So Callie is a mystery to me. Callie Grubbs' Facebook profile. We're not sure if Callie is a lady or one of those joint Facebook accounts that a husband and wife team have. I think it's that. So then it makes you wonder what he did to get in trouble <laughs> to make it a joint account. <laughs> you can't have your own Facebook account. Yeah. You're banned from that. Callie Grubbs, part of the 100% crew, says, all 13 of us who listen to the Ooh, show that hurts, really enjoy it, especially when Matt brings up the golden days of when Kenyon was on the show. <laughs> it's just a shame that he was the original one that left. Felt like Tim needed someone to bust on Matt for once. Hey, easy. Well, I liked the part in there where he liked it when Kenyon was on the show and not you. I liked that part. Well, Callie, him or her, would prefer a Mark Kenyon and Tim Chelsvik podcast. Yeah, sounds boring. <laughs> <laughs> Can't disagree. <laughs> All right. So we're going to talk about public land for two hours. <laughs> the next guy, Fred Rao. Right. Let's go with it. <laughs> He's uh, on, on YouTube. He was talking about the Neonic show, which we still are getting tons of feedback on the Dr. Grant Wood show at Mark Drury. He says, I'm a deer hunter. 
turkey hunter, and a beekeeper. These insecticides are bad news for all that ingest them. I am all ears on the effects of the environment. How do you read so perfectly? (laughs) It's... So we cut for the first takeout for, we better Matt cut the first takeout. <laughs> yeah. You said a cuss word, sir. That's right. <laughs> <sighs> that was rough. We love the feedback. Mm-hmm. Good, bad, and indifferent. Mostly indifferent. Mm-hmm. All right. But so what's happening over in DC news? It's not actually news. So <laughs> if folks have been paying attention to the DeerCast news feed, this, this article has gotten more comments than most articles have in the past few weeks here. It's all about what happens when you have conflict with your hunting partner mm. on your prop on your property. That, that's probably a pretty regular topic, I would think. <laughs> it touched a nerve for sure. And Taylor Johnson is our DeerCast contributor who wrote it. And uh, he was pretty much talking about uh, and I won't, I won't give away the full article, but a situation where two hunters shot at the same deer name names, and it became a contest as to who actually should tag the buck. Jeff and David Lindsay did that on uh, dream season. I remember that. Yeah. I think I don't remember who tagged it. Jeff shot at first. Then it ran right down past David's stand. I think that's how it went down. I think Jeff talked about it when he was on our show. Yeah. A year or crazy, so crazy hunt. I had a buddy shoot the same doe that I shot and he says it was going to lay down. Like it was, it was, it was a great shot, it, but By it, him. It, it walked, it walked past. I walked, the deer didn't even realize it was hit. It You're was like, it was just here, bleeding, <laughs> walking along feeding. And it, it went off about 40 yards to die. It was about to lay down and he shot it again. He was hunting real close to me. Well, wow. and he's like, I shot your deer and I think my arrow hit it in the same hole where you shot it. Okay. So it's like, you either missed or why? (laughs) (laughs) It must be the Robin Hood of all Robin Hoods. (laughs) I mean, he's not. He's not. Okay. This is all fake news. It happened, but it's fake. cast fake news brought to you by Land Lakes Butter. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, I could relate on the hunting partner thing because I'm sharing a lease with a couple guys uh, this year and nothing majors come up, but we're trying to alleviate that by putting a lot of things in the lease agreement. Like I tried thinking through uh, as many scenarios as I could. Sure. Uh, we, tr- we try to communicate as best as possible. So all three of us are, well, actually and Scott. So four of us are on this text group together and, you know, we've had a few little missteps there with one guy might've mowed the clover with a lawnmower right after we mowed it with a brush hog. Hypothetically. Oh. <laughs> The heat of the summer, but we're learning to, that person wasn't me <laughs> for all of you Hypothetically. that think that it might've been, but uh, no, it's just a matter of communicating. So communicated with each other, said, Hey, next time let's uh, talk to each other before heading out and doing any work out there and making sure that it needs that work. The basis for any strong relationship. Yeah. Well, another thing, probably a more important issue would be uh, shooters are non-shooters. You know, what's on the hit list, what's on the pass list. So we're talking about that as, you know, summer trail cameras come in, the pictures are coming in, sending it to the group and saying, all right, this is a shooter. I think we should give this one a pass, Mm -hmm. you know, and and that kind of debate back and forth in that way. No surprises when the deer come out. Yeah. Control the things in the season. Yeah. Yeah. So, Agreed. All right. All right. So let's talk to Caleb. Caleb, um, we were just talking before we came on air. He's a busy guy. Yeah, man. He's got a lot of irons <laughs> in the fire. So you have a more than full-time job. You're a dad. You're a husband. You uh, do land sales and you film your hunts. 
So I want to know when Correct. you have a time to All work out. <laughs> That's like, when are you actually right? Actually, I get up at like four thirty in the morning and go in early. That way I can just get it out of the way right, right off the bat. This guy's a grinder. But yeah. So then I, I work, uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, I work full time at Ivy and then full time with real estate. And then, like you said, uh, trying to get everything prepared for hunting season. And as, as everyone knows, that's a full-time job in itself. So uh, definitely a big balance to try and find, uh, you know, I, and it doesn't matter if I have to do real estate, you know, a, after dark when the kids go to bed or wh- whatever until two or three in the morning, I, I, that's what I choose to do a lot of times uh, just so I can spend time with them. So in the family, so it's definitely a balance. All right. So I, I want to backtrack a little bit and talk about what, piqued your interest to get into filming your hunts because you've been doing it for a long time now. I, re- I remember talking to you probably via email, maybe shoot three, eh, probably four or five years ago. It's been a while. When we first started talking, yeah. you were with Bill Winky and, and Midwest Whitetail. And I think you had shot that first, was it the first 200 you'd shot maybe that year? Um, I, yeah. So I shot the first 200 and then we'd, we talked a little bit and then, uh, Bill needed me still for, for that season. Then I shot this, uh, well, actually the third one on or second one on video, third one total. Yeah. So uh, since he's so come to on get board into with that, us, I, no 200 yet. He's got to warm up. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. I'm on a dry spell. You have one 50s and 60s. <laughs> I'm on that same yeah, dry spell. I know, right? So, okay. So back back at that time, what piqued your interest to start filming for Bill and and starting to kind of build that following? I mean, because you 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 guys, you and your wife really have your own kind of follow set set followers now that look for those online hunts you guys were cut bill was definitely kind of ahead of the curve of like the hunting public are you know i think him and grant kind of had the first online shows and and really kind of set the stage in that market what made you want to jump on board and get involved in it um so i mean just like anyone i started you know watching in the dvds uh back in the day just like anyone and then kind of uh, as far as filming my hunts, it's something I've wanted to do from the beginning, especially watching you guys, um, uh, Mark and Terry, especially from the beginning. And, and that's what kind of really got me into it. And, and actually, so a lot of people probably don't know, but where I grew up is literally like five miles from where uh, a lot of Mark's farms are. So it, it, he's someone that I've looked up to big time in the hunting industry and, and what better role, mo- role model to have, obviously. But, um, so Drury Outdoors was always my main goal. Um, so to, to, I guess to get ourselves, I didn't want to approach juries about filming, uh, right off the get, like I wanted to get good at it. I wanted to, you know, kind of get my feet wet and, and obviously, uh, Midwest White tells a show that I I'd watched quite a bit and, you know, sec, second favorite, uh, for me as well. So uh, a lot of information side of things in that too. And so I felt like that was something I could bring to the table that was good for them was, um, you know, helping other people learn and, and set up the properties and stuff like that. So it was definitely fun to, to get my feet wet with that. And then, um, obviously the end goal being to be with juries and, and, uh, we were definitely ecstatic when, uh, we finally got coordinated and, and got that worked out. So, um, I actually started filming, um, filming hunts in like 2012 and, and I figured out right off the get that you have to have a partner that is like, as ate up with it as you are, or it's not going to work. So the first year I started filming, um, 
he he was reliable in the beginning, and then he just got burnt out fast. And uh, I remember it was November seventh, and it was I'd waited all season. I I had one deer that I was going to hunt, so I basically let him hunt almost every day prior to that. And okay, I said, okay, today's the day. Like I'm going after. I called him the flyer buck. He had he was like a hundred and 90 inch mainframe and then like a 12 inch flyer. So would have put him right around 200 inches. And, uh, so like I had waited for that time of year, perfect wind. I was like, okay, we're going to kill him. Like I just got a trail camera picture of him going into the bedding area. And, uh, he made an excuse of, he was sick and I was like, all right, no big deal. So I went and I tried to film myself and here comes the deer running down the hill with a doe. Um, and kind of just set the stage like it's just this big long draw going through crp and he'd gone this way and i knew like i knew he was gonna come back through eventually so i'm i'm like standing up and just strictly watching this way and i had like 170 inch deer come from the other way and sneak into like 30 yards and i had to make the decision to actually pass the deer just because i you know i had in my head that this deer was going to come by so here I did past 170 inch deer that, you know, I realistically would have shot if he was in the tree with me because we could have just switched bows and, you know, then he could have hunted the other deer. But uh, anyway, so I'm strictly facing this way and, and that deer sneaks in. So I kind of was like, well, maybe I just need to, you know, sit back down and, and, you know, the stands are this facing each direction so we could watch each way. And I sat back down and, you know, I just kept looking over my shoulder and, and of course, here he comes and literally, I had to pass him going through my shooting lane at 30 yards because I'm trying to self-film. Finally got the camera on him, and he literally walks through my shooting lane. I film him, and then he walks into the brush and straight away, and I never did get a shot at him. But if I'm not self-filming, I kill him easily, you know? So it kind of rubbed me the wrong way, and I figured out right away you got to have a reliable partner. So I put the camera down for the year and ended up killing a buck on a different farm. Um is my internet connection good? It said it was unstable. We're hearing you. Okay. Uh, so I ended up killing a, a buck on a different farm that uh, I actually went 202 after I put the camera down. And uh, so that was my actual first 200 inch year, not on film, but um, then uh, so I kind of wanted to get Taylor into filming uh, slowly, but right. Away. So, so basically I filmed her and then, uh, you know, kind of wanted to see if she liked it. She loved it actually. So, uh, then she started filming and ever since then it's kind of been one of those deals. It's, it's been our thing. So, um, I don't know anybody that grinds harder than she does, honestly. And, and to think that I started out with a, a partner that was a guy that couldn't grind as hard as, you know, my wife is, is pretty special. But, um, so then ever since then, so 2013, uh, was, realistically might've been, you know, we weren't filming for anyone, but it might've been one of our best years ever. Realistically. Um, she killed, uh, two giants and I killed two giants. So, I mean, it was a, it was a heck of a year, but ever since then we, you know, we've, after that, I kind of sent like something into Midwest Whitetail and, and they brought us right onto the main show actually. And, and, uh, it's just a part of what we do now. I mean, I couldn't imagine not filming my hunts, whether I was self-filming or, or not. So, I mean, it's just kind of, as you guys know, once you start filming and, and you, you can show everything to your family and your friends and it'd be hard to, to give that up for sure. It's hard to go back. You just get used to, it's just part yeah. of the hunt right. at a certain you know time. You're yep. just like, yeah, this is what I do. Yeah. So you've, you've, you've yeah. kind of built up this following over those couple of years over at Midwest Whitetail. 
And then uh, here about three seasons ago or so, you join up with us and we we started Dream Season Live, which is kind of our semi-live, you know, online hunting, online only hunting show. And, um, you know, the, the, there's the group that used to be the, um, oh, the Muddy Group, Chris Duncan's crew. What, yeah. what was the name? Uh, Pursuit? Uh, <laughs> Trophy pursuit. There you go. So those guys came on. They had something happening where like Muddy and, and GSM bought Muddy and they kind of became available. So they came aboard. You guys came aboard and it was this perfect storm of a bunch of big buck killers there and, and good, you know, good ground, good mm-hmm. area. Yes. And and it's been it's been fantastic. I mean, it's it's one of the most entertaining things that we do is that semi live show in the fall. So, uh, so you're now on dream season live and, uh, <clears throat> you guys are, are gearing up for another season with us. What are you currently doing? You know, plan wise amongst all the 50 other things that you're doing every day, what are you kind of, kind of doing with your, your, you know, parcels of land that you're hunting? Cause I know you got a, a small piece that's attached to your house and you guys killed a hell of a buck there last year. Yep. And, and then you also have another piece that you right. hunt, right? Yeah. So, and that's where it gets crazy too. I've, uh, so we, we had a, a 114 acre farm and a neighbor, I uh, wanted to buy it and I kept telling him no, but then, so a, a piece popped up literally right by like a mile from our house and uh, it was 220 acres and we kind of went back and forth on it and, and the na- neighbor made a good offer. So we're like, okay, let's do it. But the thing I loved about the farm was it's literally a blank slate. There, there was no crops on it. There was uh, no food plots, no cameras, no, no blinds, no tree stands. It was literally a blank slate. And that's what I love about, hunting is you can take, I, I just love the, the chess match of, of, you know, planning everything out. And then when it comes to fruition, you just get that much more satisfaction out of it. That, you know, if you kill a, a buck on a plot that you created or, uh, you know, a farm that you started from scratch and then look at where it started and to where it is now, that's kind of what I love about it. So uh, a lot of my focus has been on setting up that new farm. So uh, the first order of business was to, uh, get trees cleared to get crops in. So uh, we wanted to get a little more cleared than we did, but we ended up uh, clearing enough to get 51 acres of crops on it. And we're actually, uh, so we have someone else farm it and the agreement with the farmers, uh, we are also going to leave like two acres of standing grain in the bottom. That's uh, it's going to be, it's literally right in the hub between like all the, all the bedding areas kind of lead to that that area of the farm. So it's going to be unreal, I think, uh, as far as late season goes. But um, so then obviously carving out green plots. So there's, uh, we're actually going to have six different green plots scattered out uh, in strategic areas throughout the farm. So um, I have those tilled up and sprayed just now kind of waiting, you know, it's, it's that perfect time of year to plant, just kind of waiting for, you know, a rain front to, to start pushing in and and get everything done before then. Um, but, uh, I got two clover plots, um, already done. You know, obviously people know that, you know, the first year clover doesn't do that well. So, you know, it's mostly putting its roots down for the first year. So I mix some oats, oats in with it. Um, so I do have those to establish, but I have four, uh, four other plots that, uh, between, um, winter bulbs and sugar beets in one, and then, uh, last bite and, one deer radishes and another. And then, um, I can't remember the fourth one, but, uh, we're pretty excited because, um, 
you know, I, we had some crossings put in and, and, and the trees cleared and then, uh, you know, we got blinds in place now and, and we did put cameras up uh, really early with the kids just because um, we had some left over that had batteries left from last year. And, and uh, honestly, I just wanted, you know, the kids were so excited to see what kind of deer were on the farm and, and that's, it's crazy part is they've, they've helped on it just as much as like, they want to do everything that I'm doing. So uh, the biggest thing they love to do is like, after we carve out a new plot, they want to go pick up the rocks. So that's something that I, I cannot do on my own. Like if, if I have a free day to go do something like that, I cannot pick up rocks out of the food plots that, that that's like their thing. So uh, it's pretty cool to and special to get them involved in. And uh, every day after, you know, if I get home from work and didn't have a ton of real estate to do, that's what they want to do is, is they want to go to the farm every day and, and ride the four around and just, and just fix up the new farm. So uh, that makes it even more special. I just love the the family affair and, and getting your kids involved with it. And so long story short, uh, it, it, throughout checking cameras, uh, we went fishing on one of the neighbor's ponds and uh, we were headed back to the house and we were driving by our farm and we seen this buck uh, with a drop tine. So uh, immediately Huxley's like, well, we got to go check the trail cameras. Like it, they'd only been out like a little while. And I'm like, all right, buddy, like, if you want to, we can like, it, you know, it was early enough near, it's not going to hurt anything. So we went and checked the, check the cameras. And sure enough, that deer has been on uh, two different cameras, uh, mostly on one. And then he moved into a actually better area here mm-hmm. recently. And he's actually been showing daylight and, and, uh, you know, with, with nomads release of the new drop time series, uh, I think we're going to call him nomad, but, uh, I'm not going to go into detail of how big the deer is or, or whatever, but, uh, put it this way. He's, uh, he's got a pretty hefty drop time. So, um, you know, that that's another thing. Like when you, when you buy a farm where you have no trail camera history or, you know, it could be terrible. You, you may not have a shooter on it whatsoever, but, um, and I think it, keeps you on your toes even more of, you know, the surprise of what could show up. And, and um, I don't know, I kind of, I kind of love that aspect of it, of, yeah. of not always relying on your cameras as much. And it just, you know, you, you love to see what's there, but it's also, I love the surprise of what could show up at any time. Like the, not having the history of what's going to show up during the rut uh, and, and our farm sets up so good for the rut. Uh, it's got big pockets of timber, but then it pinches down into like a, like a river system and it should, I mean, from going one timber to the other, it should pinch them right down. And it's, mm. it's going to be amazing in all aspects of the season early to, to late. It's going to have it all. So, I mean, that was one thing I was looking for. If I was going to upgrade in farms, it had to be the total package. And I think that's, it's going to be exactly what it is. So heck yeah. So by the time this show airs, it'll be mid-August. I'm curious, Caleb, your trail cam strategy at that point in the season, what are you doing? Uh, right now, uh, everything's over uh, analogic mineral dirt. So uh, f- uh, basically, I'll put everything over mineral for now and it just kind of put it on the fringes of, you know, where they're you're easy to get to and then uh, kind of run Reconyx cell cameras when you get closer to season. But um, for now, just put everything on mineral and put it in areas where you're never going to hunt. Obviously in Iowa, you can't hunt anywhere near mineral. So you got to, you know, kind of, that's part of the strategy as well of figuring out where you're going to put it mm-hmm. and, and on a new farm, hope that it's never in an area that you're actually going to be planning to kill a deer. So, um, I put it in the weirdest places, but, 
so realistically, you most of the time get a lot of nighttime pictures, but that's fine. You're just trying to figure out what's there. And then I will transition. Uh, once we get into September and the scrapes start, you know, popping up, I'll start putting them uh, on scrapes and, you know, over the new crossings we put in that are, you know, obviously easier to cross in the ditches and, and just, you know, high traffic areas coming to the, to the food plots. So. Sure. So, so what I'm hearing here is that you're kind of, you never stop thinking about how you're going to a improve the land, but b improve your own skills here and continuing to, you know, cultivate, you know, and, and make everything you got better. Oh gosh. Yeah. I mean, that's what you love about it. You never stop learning. And from each season of the next, you try to incorporate new things. Like uh, I know you got guys have been big on like the tree coys and that's something I've never done a lot of and, and seeing your guys' success with that. Um, that's one thing we're going to have some bigger food plots this year um, as far as green sources go. So I know getting them in bow range is going to be a little bit of a tricky subject. So I know that we're going to have to figure out ways to, obviously get him in range and, mm-hmm. you know, watching, uh, Greg's recent, uh, episode of Bo madness and with the decoy stuff, like I don't do a lot of decoying either. So, uh, that, you know, between the tree coys and, and, you know, the, the decoy, and that's something I'm going to definitely try a little more of this year for sure. Yeah. I've had mixed re- results on both of those, but you watch those guys or Mark and, you know, and they, they always seem to have some pretty good Mark, especially on the tree koi side and Greg on the decoy side. Mm-hmm. And it's like, dad actually has quite, a, quite good results with decoys and man, we've tried it and yep. we've just keep, I, I don't know. I don't have a doe decoy though. I, I mean, mm-hmm. I don't always use the, I only use the buck decoy when kind of the situation calls for it, but I've just not had as good, good of results. And even on the tree coys, like, you know, we've, we've asked, okay, what kind of tree are you using? We, you know, find that kind of tree, put it out. And it just doesn't seem to have quite the same results those guys yeah. do, but I, I don't know. I'm sure it's something I'm doing. I just haven't figured it out yet. <laughs> so, yeah. And sometimes the guys have been doing it for so yeah, long. Doing- Go ahead, Caleb. No, I was just going to say, yeah, every time I put a, a decoy out, it seems like the first doe on the field just stares at it the entire time and yeah. stomps and blows and mm-hmm. ruins the whole hunt. And it's like, I'm never using a decoy again. <laughs> and then I really don't that much. But, uh, uh, and as far as the, the tree koi side of things, I, what I've been hearing is guys will, uh, go to the co-op or, you know, whatever, like a fencing store supply store and, and get, uh, like just a fence post that has sap on it and just, and, you know, put sin on it and the stickiness, you know, from it already being treated, uh, makes them go crazy over it, I guess. So, and then basically they'll just take a screw and screw in like, uh, you're looking, licking branch. So it acts as they have to put concrete in it, you know, quick creep, uh, to get it to stay there, but then it acts as a rubbing post and a, a scrape post. So that's kind of what I'm going to try this year. We'll see if it works and, uh, hopefully, you know, obviously be able to get them in bow range that way. We'll see, but. Caleb, you've, you've been hunting at such a high level for so many years now. I'm curious because we were talking about the learning aspect of the pursuit and how that's just a, a part of the fun of it. What are some of the things that you look back on and you see like now I know that was probably not the best thing or that was a mistake or I wish I would have known X back in the day that maybe some other guys may be committing those same fouls right now. Uh, honestly, there's, oh, I made every mistake in the book, but that's what you love about it. Um, so 
some of the biggest mistakes I made over the years was you, you, you find a tree that's perfect, but you know, the wind is going to be iffy, whether it swirls, I wasted so many hunts hunting, hunting good deer, but you know, it's not going to work. You, and, and when you get that in your mind that, okay, the wind is going to swirl, we could get away with it, but 90% chance we're not going to pick up, move, whether, whether you got to move a hundred yards or, you know, get yourself where you can see the area that's good, but, mm-hmm. you know, maybe try call, a calling strategy or something, but I wasted so many hunts in the beginning of areas that, you know, on paper looked really good, but you're, you can't fight the swirling winds. You're not going to win ever. So um, that's, if I could change, that was the biggest thing I would change. Uh, but I'm a really aggressive hunter when it gets into the rut. And, you know, I try to bank on some of my satellite farms. Um, well, I don't touch them all year and then really just their, their rut farms and that's all they are. And so I get extremely aggressive on them and I pile into areas that most people probably wouldn't. And if you own the farm, you might, you probably wouldn't, but uh, being a farm that you know, I never know what I'm going to lose permission on or you know, whatever it is, I, I, I hunt them really aggressively and it's paid off uh, big time. Actually all, all three of my 200 inch year have been on permission uh, out of stands where they were not great access, but you know, you, you push it on the right days and it worked. I mean, there's a little, obviously a little luck involved with, with killing a deer of that caliber and, and uh, every situation was that way too. I just pushed it a little farther than probably should have. And it worked out, I guess. When you go like gorilla style on a hunt like that, what's your, what's your loadout? Like what kind of stand are you taking back in there to do, to do that? Actually, normally I get the stands prepared, uh, in the summer. So I'll go in like now and, uh, you know, get the stands up, clear all the shooting lanes. And that way I can literally stay out of the area the, the entire way. And, mm. and then I'll sneak in there. Uh, and that, that's kind of tricky sometimes because you plan all that out in the summer and then you get to actually going in to hunt it and you're like, crap, I hope I can remember how to get to the dang thing. But, um, that, I mean, that's kind of my strategy. I always over prepare, uh, ask my wife, I way over prepare and there there'll be stands. We never even hunt throughout the year, but you, you feel like you got to have them ready just in case there's a buck in that area that you do want to hunt. And I've tried to do a little less of that, I guess, as far as like over preparing because of how busy I've been lately. But, um, so you try to focus on things, you know, where, you know, like you had a buck in that area last year, uh, you know, he's going to be there this year is a good chance of it. So, you know, I'll focus more on that instead of like, well, there could be a buck in here, but there's, you know, a good chance there won't be. So I try to focus more on, you know, like a buck, for instance, last year, you know, we called him Southpaw, but, uh, we had him at 30 yards and, uh, he never would turn broadside, but that's an area that, you know, I'll focus heavily on next year. So, uh, I'll definitely want to have everything prepared in that area before going into season for sure. Sure. You mentioned earlier, uh, ending up with a bad wind on maybe a great stand location, but the wind just isn't cooperating with you. Will you get down out of your stand mid hunt? If the wind changes, um, it depends, um, on a morning hunt for sure. Like, you know, if I go in an area and I'm thinking I'm going to sit all day and I just, it, a lot of it's a mindset. Like everyone knows it's a grind and, and we do a lot of all day sits. So, you know, if you're hunting from November 1st, uh, November 20th, all day sits, you know, half that time, it, it wears on your mind, especially when you may be only getting out just to go switch to a different sand. 
it's, it's, it's more of a mental game than anything. So if you're not in it mentally with that stand, I think, yeah, it's a good idea to, you'd rather be one hour in a good stand as opposed to four hours in a stand where you're not confident in. So, yeah, I, I definitely bail. I, we, I'll bail a few times for sure. And yeah, that's always a tough call. Cause you're like, man, it could happen at any minute here. Well, I haven't seen a deer in three hours. Mm-hmm. So let's just, you know, the wind's starting to kind of shift. Is that why I'm not seeing any deer? You know, yeah. it's, it got to make a move. Yeah. It's, it's a real thought process. You just kind of continue to like, beat yourself up and go through all the scenarios. And it's like, man, you know, especially if you're driving an hour or something, you know, oh, hour and a half yeah. to your spot and you're like, yeah, this is a waste of time. I could be doing X, Y, Z right now. So I'm, I'm going to have to make a move. It's tough. And, and the weird, weird thing about that is too, it, you could hunt it the day before and it may have just been a little heavier wind and you, you got away with it all day. So the one that comes to mind the most, uh, we hunted a spot on our farm uh, the day before and it was fine we seen several bucks and literally we get to our stand and it, you know it was during the rut and it was november 8th actually and uh right away we had this small buck come out and instead of walking you know th- through the draw like he should have right away he you could just tell he, he could smell us and he started stomping and I literally right away i'm like we got to go somewhere else so uh we hopped out and I was like, it was like a 40 minute drive, but I was like, I, we're going to be pushing it on getting there on time. But uh, there's one buck in there that I know we'd shoot and it's worth it. We got to try it. Uh, so we no more than hop in the stand, just got everything set up. And this was actually the last year of middle fight tough for us. And uh, here the buck we were actually hunting comes strolling by. Uh, he's like three, 350 yards away and Taylor hits the horns and he literally comes to like 15 yards and she shoots him. It was like 100, 164 inch eight. Wow. So <clears throat> that's the most memorable switch I've ever had. Like you're in a stand and you're, you're just not confident in it and you make the switch and, and then she shoots a giant. So it was, it was one of those situations that worked out, but you know, it could have went the opposite and we scared him on the way in too. So, yeah, that's always your real concern. If you're switching later, you know, it's like, man, are they on their feet? Are they, am yeah. I going to run into you one? Get, get there and you stand yeah. by your stand. Or you're walking, you know, you're, you're climbing up your stand and then they start staring at you, you know, it's just like, ah, uh, what is that lump going yeah. up that tree? I burned the spot for the next <laughs> month, you know? Yeah. 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 I mean, it's one of those yeah, things where there's sure. no, there's not always a right or wrong answer because you don't know what's going to happen or what could happen. You yeah. just do the best you can. Well, yep. we should do the best we can for our buddy, Mark, who's got this week's question of the day. All right. So the question of the day this week is proudly brought to you by Cold Steel, professional hunting knives for real hunters. That's Mark. Mark Krantz is asking, what food source have you found to be better for early season success? Caleb, guest always goes first. Um, uh, honestly, any, anything last by or clover. You can't go wrong with a non-typical clover. Uh, I try to incorporate that, you know, on almost every farm. So mm-hmm. uh, I'd say it's definitely one of my favorite go-tos is, is clover for sure. Yep. I've, just a couple of years ago, started planting more radishes on Mark, kind of Mark's recommendation. And it's surprising to me how hard they hit those early season too. I always thought it was going to be more of a mid to late season, yeah. but it, it's not like they really hammer them early. And last bite's been really good for us too. Uh, we have a couple of clover plots, but they're not 
our best hunting plots. Not mm-hmm. it's more because of where they're at or how you know okay. deer see you coming in and all that kind of stuff. So the, the deer eat, eat the hell out of it, but I just don't hunt it much. Sure. We, we see yeah. more does on it than bucks, so that's the other reason I don't hunt it up a, a, whole, a whole lot. But mm-hmm. last bite and radishes, those two things have done really, really good for us. Uh, now, I, I I don't hunt areas where there's a whole lot of food plots or agriculture, so I'm looking at keying in on white oaks and where where the mass is dropping. And, and I really think deer listen. I think when, oh, yeah. when they hear those acorns hitting the ground, I think they key in on that. And I've killed a lot of deer with them just kind of kind of nose to the ground and grazing along through the, uh, the understory there in the, in the woods. Dropped an arrow once. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Killed a, my biggest deer <laughs> ever because we felt like he thought it was an acorn. <laughs> Probably did. I, yeah. I, I'm not even lying, Caleb. It was, you know, they were dropping pretty regularly and it was a beautiful October, you know, later in October, I think it was 26th. And they were dropping these in these, this bachelor group of bucks were going back to bed. You know, and it was like probably, I don't know, 10 a.m. or so, roughly. And uh, I go, you know, I drop, I put the bow on the ground. All of a sudden, we see the deer. So all of a sudden, I'm getting the bow back up, knock the the arrow, but looking at the deer, don't knock it all the way, put the release aid on it. You just put a little Mm -hmm. bit of tension on it. And, you know, a minute later, there goes my arrow, just kind of plops onto the ground, boop, done. Knock another arrow. Here he comes. He deviates his course and walks right in front of us, turns broadside and got one. Is that why you take 15 arrows with you into the stand? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I drop a lot. (laughs) I drop everything. Ask God. It's it's going up. It's coming down. Some people are just cursed with the dropsies. (laughs) Eh, I'm clumsy. (laughs) (laughs) It's just across life in general. Yeah, it's it's just a curse in general. You got a buddy that does that every trip. So, um, yeah, acorns, good so, one. Yeah, white oaks are the best. Um, and then the wildlife word this week brought to you by the American Hunting Lease Association. You don't say. I didn't. Ooh-wee. You did. It's a true or false. So you got a 50-50 here. Oh. A whitetail has more guard hairs during the summer than they do in the winter. Is that true or false? Caleb. Whitetail has more guard hairs during the summer than they do in the winter. I'm going with false. I have no. I'm going with false. I would go with false. I would go false as well, just because they put on more of a coat. Yeah. And you know, for the winter months, but I don't know. It's actually a true statement. They do have more guard hairs during the summertime. In fact, they have twice as many. In a, they have around, uh, I, I think they counted like in a, in a square inch, they have like 5,000 hairs in the summer and around 2,500 hairs in the wintertime. Really? It's the, it's the under fur that they grow during the winter and it's the fact that their guard hairs in the wintertime are hollow and like two times thicker than their solid, shorter summer, uh, summer guard hairs. Man, I wish this was something that I'd be able to remember because it's really interesting, but I'm not going to ever remember this. The cool thing is you today. just podcast this whenever you want a fun fact. Mm. Uh-huh. Just listen to it over and over Not again. often I go back and listen to our podcast, but well, maybe can, that's what I need to do. You can be like uh, Gilly Goat who went back and listened listen to, to 70, the of 70 episodes. <laughs> God bless you, Gilly Goat. <laughs> well, well, Caleb, now you know. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you should kind of be thanking us for being on the show today instead of us thanking you. This is a house of learned right. doctors. <laughs> yeah, we're smart. Yeah, some of us. SMRT. <laughs> well, Caleb, we look forward to your adventures this uh, this fall. I, I, every deer season is incredible for us to follow along with you guys on Dream, on Dream Season Live. Mm, come again. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, it's Leopold's Dream Season Live this year. Whoa. Whoa. You guys are balling. That's right. That Sweet. is correct, Amundo. Going to be relentless. I have a feeling Nomad is going down. Mm. I hope so. He's a giant. Yeah, I want to see that big drop. Hey, time. if anybody, if you haven't seen it, you should go back and watch Caleb's dad's hunt last year <laughs> on Dream Season Live. I mean, that's one of my favorite ones so far because it's looking at this gigantic deer way out in this food plot, and then all of a sudden. Shooter walks up right underneath them out of the timber into the food plot, shoots him, runs off, blood everywhere. I mean, just totally, I mean, it was a really cool moment in general. Yeah. Then they go out and trail the deer with your son. I mean, it was, it was all in all, it was like one of the best moments of the whole dream season year last year. Yeah, it was, it, it's a, obviously a hunt that, you know, it's pretty special with my dad anyway. And then just bringing. Uh, you know, you can't always do that during the hunting season, whether you're, you know, an hour away from home or, you know, it's a little past their bedtime or it's freezing cold out. So uh, being able to incorporate Huxley, you know, and he's getting older, so he's going to start coming on a lot more track jobs. But uh, just being able to take him along and find find his papa's papa's yeah. buck was, uh, you know, something that he talks about all the time still. And, and uh, you know, I told him. That you know, Bo Madness just aired. Uh, we haven't got to watch it yet. I think we're going to watch it later tonight. But uh, I told him that he was going to be on TV, and he's ecstatic to watch it. He just can't wait to yeah, when I track Papa's buck. I'm like, yep, <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it was so good. Caleb's year was so good. We made a forever. we made a Bo Madness episode Deserves out of Caleb's it. season. Yeah. Caleb and, and Taylor's. It was so good. So I, I just want to know one thing: is the other deer still around? <laughs> Oh, uh, well, so we sold the farm, so uh, I don't know. <laughs> Does, yeah, he's dead to me. <laughs> I, I wish I could answer that, but honestly, so, yeah, exactly. No, but he, uh, he disappeared. Um, so the neighbor thought he shot him, but he doesn't run trail cameras. So he kind of described him and it kind of sounded like him and he disappeared on November 21st and we never seen him again. And we were really getting dialed in on him too. And, and I, I felt like we were getting ready to end the chapter on him. And then, uh, we never seen him again after that. So I would assume we never found him, but, uh, who knows, uh, whether the neighbor actually fatally wounded him or fatally yeah. hit him or not. I, I guess I don't, I can't answer that. It's always amazing how these big deer disappear, you know, like there's so many yeah. ways that they can die mm -hmm. a car, if, you know, another hunter, uh, uh, get locked up or whatever. And, there's a lot of ways that you would never be able to even find them too, you know, <laughs> yeah, bed or whatever. Quiet, yeah, yeah. Well, and the weird part about that, it, the, uh, what I love about it is that deer the year before was literally all over the farm. I passed him everywhere we went and then going into, we, we thought he was dead um, going into that season because uh, he didn't even show up until uh, right before Halloween. So it's just crazy how they can disappear and come back to your life and, and you never know 
and that's what I love about it. you never know when they're going to show back up or a, a buck of your a buck of a lifetime is going to walk into your life. So I think that's what keeps everyone going back for more is just the the unknown about it. Definitely waiting on that one. <laughs> that would be nice. Harley <laughs> was the buck of a lifetime for me. The high water mark kind of just continues to rise. Yeah, you, well, you keep hunting. You hope. <laughs> right. That's ideally the way it should go. Yeah. Well, Caleb, thanks for hopping on, man. We really appreciate it. Caleb is also a great follow on Instagram if folks are right. following him. Caleb, what's your Instagram handle? Uh, I think it's Caleb Byers Dre Outdoors. Sounds about right. Very confident. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks for tuning in, everybody. We appreciate it. Thanks, Caleb. All right. Thanks, oh, Caleb. Good luck this season. Safe hunting, buddy. Yeah, you guys as well. All right. Until next time. Peace out. See ya. The results are in. DeerCast said it was supposed to be a great night. Well, here you go. DeerCast said great. It doesn't exist anywhere else but in DeerCast. Hunters love DeerCast's exclusive deer movement forecast. Get ahead of your game with DeerCast.